we talk about as Indigenous people having a sacred fire within us. And each of us have that. And that is our identity. It is our home. It is it's who we are. It's that spirit in us is that fire. And that first day at that placement, I was an amber. Like I was a coal in the ashes. Mm-hmm. And what those children did and what that medicine did was fan that fire and start to fan it. And even though with their little hands, but they started to to breathe life into that fire for me. Welcome to the Intuitively Aligned Podcast, a place for changemakers to cultivate their intuition and foster greater impact in their everyday lives. I am your guide, Sydney Bloom. Today, I am so honored to have Shannon Murphy as our guest. Shannon is Mohawk from Six Nations and of the Bear Clan. She is a strong advocate within the Indigenous community and dedicated to healing and wellness for individuals and families. Shannon's 18 years experience in the community includes providing leadership development, advocacy, human resource management strategies, and capacity building within Indigenous and mainstream services. Shannon is co-owner of Nishque Consulting, an Indigenous-owned and operated consulting firm. Shannon is currently the Provincial Manager for Ontario Aboriginal Head Start Association's Centre for Indigenous Professional Learning, and part-time Shannon is a professor for Mohawk College and Kenjuin Teg Educational Institute. Shannon is committed to taking an approach of reciprocity in her community work and contributes to many initiatives, local, provincial, and national, to bring awareness to Indigenous worldviews and communities. Shannon, I am so honored to have you as a guest on the Intuitively Aligned podcast. We've collaborated over many years across different projects in the nonprofit community impact space. And Shannon is someone who has been a teacher to me. I have participated in Indigenous cultural competency trainings, where Shannon has led and facilitated and shared her own stories and wisdom that has been life-changing to me in my understanding of who I am and the work that we're doing on this land, especially working in diverse communities. So thank you. It really feels like a dream come true that we can be in this space together. Well, Nyawa, and thank you for creating this space for me to visit. I'm always happy to be a visitor and knowledge exchange, knowledge sharing is so important. And I have mutually learned from yourself and from our conversations. And each time I leave a conversation, I'm left reflecting and anxiously awaiting for us to reconnect and uncover, discover, (laughs) revisit and learn more. So yeah, for this time and this opportunity. Thank you. And the feelings are so mutual. I like to start off by asking guests, could you tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and who your people are in no particular order? (laughs) Yes. So I'm Shannon Murphy. I am Mohawk of Six Nations. I do reside uh, here in Niagara Falls in Haudenosaunee Territory. I feel like I'm a visitor. My people are all over and I see myself as an advocate or what you would call a carpenter where I love just to visit and see where I can help build bridges and start conversations. 
or bring voices back so that we can stand with one another and break down silos. My people, I feel, are we're interconnected so we're everywhere and home is each community that I get to visit and with each member that I get to sit with or each green space that I get to sit or rocks that I get to climb or waters I get to visit so yeah I don't belong to one place but I do reside in Niagara Falls. I definitely resonate with you being a bridge builder and a carpenter. I have seen you doing that work with a very unique grace and integrity in the way that you show up and that you share your perspective and your knowledge and your gifts in community wellness in so many different ways. I'm hoping that you can share with us how you came into alignment with your own inner knowing. Thank you for that. And I think It was, I think, unnamed, but I think it was in our actions. You always created a space that I could safely show up as myself. Mm -hmm. The spaces were created that I could feel safe in applying and trying and using the teachings from my ancestors and from my elders. I'm sure sometimes it was probably with tears, but it allowed me to show up authentically without ego but being able to carry the bundle of teachings that were gifted to me. So I thank you for creating those spaces and definitely would love to talk about the journey. It's, it's been an amazing whirlwind, emotional pauses, all of, all of it, because it's the beauty in it. It's beauty and duality. It doesn't always look pretty and nice, but it's, it's in those moments that the true teachings lie and that's what my teachers and elders have gifted me with is just to be present to start to bear witness to those and to sit in those moments to really reflect on what is the teaching that's being gifted to me in this moment it hasn't always been easy or pretty because healing isn't and truth isn't it can be uncomfortable but that's how we grow anything unknown is uncomfortable and then when it becomes annoying mm-hmm. It truly is a gift, whether it be a darker experience or a more positive, it still has allowed me to see the world in a different way and to be given knowledge that I could hopefully use to assist others or understanding and connecting. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm so incredibly thankful for my elders, my teachers. I will reference them as teachers, but when I'm talking about that, I am talking about elders and knowledge keepers. Thank you. That was a beautiful articulation. And I was wondering Mm -hmm. if you could share a little bit more about how you discovered your intuition. Of course. So I grew up disconnected from my culture. I will say I was the perfect storm of what our histories were trying to do. My father raised me. I grew up in a great home. There was a time that I would say I did not experience intergenerational trauma. And I stood by that probably for up until about seven years ago. And this is a part of my journey and learning because I grew up with with a loving family. I grew up with my father, my stepmom, who, you know, I consider a big role model in my life. And We always had food. We may not have had the fancy trips and things like that. But to me, the definition of how I knew trauma, I I did not experience it that way. 
but I come down to later understand as I understand my culture and I receive my teachings and I study the histories and learn what our truths are as indigenous people. And I say that because the truths of our indigenous people is where you will get the true story. So sit and learn like when we talk about truth and reconciliation it's done with us myself included and I am that perfect storm I didn't have my spiritual name I don't speak the language I don't know who my extended family is I didn't know who my clan was I was disconnected from the community and so years go by and I go to college and I'm about to do field placement. And the, the professor says, I noticed on your application, it says that you're native. And I was just like, yeah. She goes, well, we're going to send you to a native Head Start program for your placement. And I was just kind of like, sure, whatever that means. I didn't resonate with it. I was just, I felt probably a tad offended, just like you saw that. So you just assumed, but I was really not understanding the true gift that was being gifted to me in that moment. So I went to that first day and they were having uh, a circle time and they were smudging. And this was my first time seeing smudging. And I was with two and a half year olds and three year olds and four year olds. So in a panic, because all of this idea of I'm supposed to, I'm native and I'm supposed to know all this rushed in. So a lot of shame and guilt kind of came into like, I have no idea what's happening. This is supposed to be something that I should know. So I started watching the children intently to see like what was going to be expected of me when the, when the medicine came to me. And when it came, I was met by a lot of emotion. And so I went through the motions of smudging But I remember just like crying when I got home and just feeling so overwhelmed and it, it scared me and I didn't really understand it then. And I continued to work with, with the Head Start and continued to watch the amazing things that the Head Start was doing. It was gifting language to the children. We were having cultural experiences and hearing teachings and having elders And I met two elders through there who are, I consider my teachers. And that was Renee Thomas Hill and and Walter Cook. And they really took me underneath their wing to create a safe space for me to feel like I had, I had just met two grandparents and I continue to rely on their teachings. And grandma Renee continues to be in my life, teaching me every day. And I probably shied away from things I went through the motions for probably about 10 years. I participated. I advocated. I did cultural safety, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really allow that emotional part to go there because it scared me so much in that moment because it was so strong. And I think there was always a knowing of how strong it was and how powerful something that moment was in which now for me, it was a spiritual connection. It was a coming home. It was that blood memory, all of it rushing in, which I'm so thankful for. And oftentimes we'll reflect back and we'll, we'll still cry to this day because I can go back to that moment. And it, my culture changed everything. The teachings, they changed so much. You would hear teachings and it's funny because you'll ask an elder something and you're met with a story and you'll kind of be like, huh, well, it wasn't really what I was asking. I don't understand. 
but that's the beauty of it is the, there's not just an answer. You're supposed to find it yourself. You're supposed to connect. And oftentimes like you can be years later and I have been years later and that teaching will pop in my head and I'll be like, this is what they're talking about. And right. it'll become life altering and just how I look at stuff and the importance of they're not just words that they're sharing when, when you give that tobacco and when you're giving tobacco, when you make tobacco, you hold that tobacco and you put your intentions into it because it's about reciprocity. It's about balance. And if you're going to be offering someone tobacco, you have to take the time to truly sit with that medicine, put your intentions into it, put that ask into it, tie that cloth, cut the cloth, hold on to it, continuing to, to, to put those words into it. And then when you're gifting that over to an elder or to someone else that you're asking of, they're receiving all of that. And it's no longer just a question that you've asked. You've put all that intention in. So now you have given a piece of yourself prior to them even responding to you. So when you receive that tobacco, all of that has been put into it. And then those elders will hold on to that or those, and they will pray with it. They'll bring it to ceremony. They'll put it to the fire and they'll hold on. And they ask that of the ancestors. So sometimes they won't come back to you right away because it's a bit of work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes right away, they'll tell you. Sometimes they'll say they won't have an answer. It's they're the wrong person. But so when those words do come, you, they really will resonate. They'll stay with you. You'll remember them. And that's where I had to practice the elder saying, don't take notes, put your pen down, just listen, just receive. Because when you can, they gifted me in those teachings of being present and to really listen and feel and connect and reflect on what am I hearing? Where does it sit in me? How does it make me feel? What emotions come up? Because when those things start to come up, it also would tell me what healing I needed to do or I wasn't finished with because that's never finished. We always have something. <laughs> Definitely. But trusting myself and trusting my body and trusting that intuitiveness, that knowing something without having asked, just being like, I feel this to be true, or I know this, I'm, I'm not quite sure where it came from, but trusting that it's come from something, that it's come from those ancestors, that it's a knowing, it's that blood memory that's coming through, that it may not be me that knows, but there's a part of me that has experienced that or knows it. And that really started to unfold for me when I met Diane Hill from Six Nations, and she does quantum healing work. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> and listen, everyone will have their own experience. I had a very raw experience, a very beautiful experience, a very amazing opportunity of just being seen and learning what quantum healing is and that we are energy and it comes down to the energy. But again, we have to be aware of how that energy is stale or moving or stopped. But also the biggest gift she gave me, it was to let go of ego Mm. and to really practice that 
Like they would ask you stuff. And the minute you would start to go into a story, they would stop you. That's the ego. The ego is creating a story. We don't want the story. What is the breath? What is the feeling? What is the emotion? And how do we move past that? And it was that gift of letting go of ego and recognizing ego creates so many narratives that it really opened me in a whole new way to work differently, to show up differently, to respond differently, to listen differently, listening to people's words, what language they used. But again, you have to be present. And I think that was the biggest thing was to step out of ego of trying to figure out what question I was going to ask or what was my story going to be or what was my reply and just listen and really truly hear and feel and from that it really was the awakening to really receive and I feel like after that I sat in ceremonies in a whole different way it became so powerful because I was able just to no longer be in my head and no longer let fear or questioning the way something was happening but just bear witness and bear witness in a way to receive to be like recognize you and I could be sitting there and we're going to receive two different things mm-hmm. but then when we got to ride home in the car there was going to be a beautiful knowledge exchange because you were going to get to gift me with what with what you learned and I would mutually be able to do the same with what I learned and so that for me my culture and how it supports our traditional ways, I think has continued to lead and I continue to learn and my truths continue to change. As I said, like seven years ago, I probably would have said I was never impacted by intergenerational trauma. That was my truth back then because that was the knowledge I had. I only knew what I knew. Yeah. It was one perspective. Yeah. And so now I can stand in front of people and be like, no, I was that perfect storm. I was what was wanted. I was disconnected. I wasn't on the land, all of these things. But then I have had the pleasure of these last 20 years reconnecting, reconnecting with the land, reconnecting with my spiritual self, reconnecting with my ancestors in a spiritual way of being able to receive and see the beauty and everything that they talk about. And what they knew to be, to, to look at plant life and know that it's it's medicines that are growing in my front yard that I need. You know, I'm not a medicine person. I don't go pick them, but mm-hmm. I can ask a medicine person and be like, I've noticed this growing. Right. And then they can share with me and be like, this is what this is for. And then they will advise like if I'm to use it or not, or just again, that to create that awareness of being present to see what what's here and what shows up. And I think I shared this story with you. So that was my journey. And then I got to experience it with my husband. It was like another amazing gift. If you can be present to the gifts around you, like we do have such great things. Like we have negative things that happen. And I'm reminded of duality. And that was an important teaching that I received from Jane Burning. And in the many times that I've cross paths with Jane I'm constantly reminded of duality and that 
even on our eagle feather teachings, there's that two sides. But to fully understand something, you need to experience both sides of it. So if we can start to look at the teachings in those moments, you know, we don't always appreciate and know love until we've lost love, those types of things. And, you know, I struggled with it. And I remember first hearing that teaching, I still think about it. And I remember challenging the person being like, why do I need to experience pain? Like, that's just not, no, like, I don't mm-hmm. need to do it. But again, I was caught in ego and the idea of what words were being used is my interpretation was that they were telling me you had to experience really harmful things, but that it's not like to be other, to be other than your own authentic experience. Is that how you were hearing it? Yeah. Like I was just, I was so outside of it to think like they wanted harm to be caused for me to appreciate life, (laughs) but that's how I interpreted in that younger mind back then. And, And now I could see what was really what they were trying to talk about was more of that duality that through life, we are going to experience both sides of that. And on both sides, it's really going to give us teachings. And what we do with those teachings is is really going to be the impact. Do we stand up from these traumas and be able to help others through those times? Does it change us in an empathetic way that I can advocate within a system to navigate differently to say, this is the experience that a person may have that we're not considering. We've taken away that human experience. We're asking too much when we ask individuals to share life stories in order to receive services. I like to me, mm. it's so horrific that we could ask someone to relive traumas and as if we're putting them on a scale to say, we're going to yeah. judge to see if you can receive service or how fast yeah. you'll receive. Service. Are you traumatized enough to yeah. receive that? You're one person. How many other service providers did they ha- ask that? And how invasive. I don't share my personal stories to strangers, but yet we feel in positions that we get to ask that of others when they are in their sometimes biggest place of need. And I ask people, I'm like, have you ever asked for help? Like, have you ever been in a grocery trying to load something into your car and you need help? And like, how many times do you hesitate before you would ask a stranger walking by just to assist you with something like that? And that's not a personal situation. And then we add in personal traumas and we ask them to ask for helpers. So I, I struggle with that. I've had for a long time because I feel that it's very invasive and Which, it desensitizes their story and their truth. A hundred percent. And sorry to interrupt you. I think one dimension of your leadership that I've seen is being a voice and a co-designer in service-related research. Mm-hmm. Because, and I mean, there was a an initiative that we both were touching different parts of and leading in different areas of that was working with young people who were at risk of homelessness. And I remember struggling immensely with the idea that that we would be studying people whose life depended on them getting housing, probably, Mm -hmm. possibly, and having lengthy debates with my colleagues, with our leadership around that even though I understood that doing that research to the extent that you can share what's happening and give young people the opportunity to consent could actually transform the whole landscape too. 
I could hold that reality, but I remember feeling so very uncomfortable that the only way that we could launch a new program to offer those services was by participating in research. Yeah. And what I remember from that was also that we were a pretty cool collective that I think all of us felt that way. And all of us, including that lead, Mm -hmm. saying, okay, if you want it different, tell us. Yes. And for me, I remember sitting there being like, wow, it can happen. We can start to change systems. We can push back if we have like-minded people at the table that all are showing up differently and looking at okay, we know we were coming from a system that is clearly not working. How can we do this differently? And what are the mistakes that get made? Of course, because again, those are teachable moments. We're not Mm -hmm. going to do it perfect. There is no perfect way. Mm -hmm. All we can do is stop doing it the same way and say, okay, let's try again and let's look at this differently. And I remember for the research piece for us, particularly for myself, I was just like a no person. I was like, I won't do numbers. (laughs) Not doing it. I said, but what I am willing to do And I challenge is... And you're talking about quantitative outcome measurement. Yes. Researchers have done amazing work and had to jump a lot of hoops in education to do what they do. And I have a great appreciation for them. So I remember sitting there being like, I don't like this. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right. And we can create great impact even if there's one person that goes through this program. And I don't think it should be a reflection that the program failed. Because Mm -hmm. we have no idea how we've had impact on that person's life. And maybe they won't be into the system. Maybe they won't touch the criminal system. Maybe they won't touch the health system again. Like one impact if we spend the time. So I remember saying, can't we just capture their stories? Can't we be story catchers? And sometimes just hearing a change in the language, like from somebody that said that I was homeless Like maybe they'll be in a space that maybe it's not their home, but they're going to say, I feel home. Well, that Mm. we've created change, but because they weren't placed in a house, that number would not have counted. And I was like, but that's not okay. And it also doesn't work for our people because we're transient people. We are going to be staying with auntie. We're going to be staying here. And for us, that's home. Yeah. Safety is measured in a whole bunch of different ways. And that's why I loved And I still, to this day, will go back to it. And I still tell people to, if they're in education, if they're in health, it doesn't matter which sector they're working in. The work that Jesse Thistle and Caitlin Shawan did through the COH, the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness, and creating the Indigenous definition of homelessness, they defined and looked at the pillars to say, as Indigenous people, we are displaced in so many other different ways. So for us, a house may not matter in this moment, but language, being on the land, these are things that we need to look at. And I continue to go back to that work and I challenge people to go back and use that because if you look at those pillars, again, you can create great impact of change if you take into account all of those things, being disconnected from family, from culture. I often will speak on this. We talk about as Indigenous people having a sacred fire within us and having a fire within us. And each of us have that. And that is our identity. It is our home. It is is who we are. It's that spirit in us is that fire. 
And that first day at that placement, I was an amber, like I was a coal in the ashes. Mm -hmm. And what those children did and what that medicine did was fan that fire and start to fan it. And even though with their little hands, but they started to, to breathe life into that fire for me. And each teacher, elder, has continued to fan that fire to build my home fire and build that sense of identity. And it continue and it, you work at it all the time. Your fires are very important of what we put into it, what we take out of it, how we fan it, and that it does take a community. And not just that, but it takes the land, it takes water, all of those things to keep us healthy, to keep those fires healthy. And, and that's how I wanna show up for individuals is how can I fan your fire? And even if we are an amber or a coal, with the right care and the right attention and putting in the time, we can build those fires back up. And even in coal, there's medicine for our people. Yes. So there's no bad part of that. And that's the thing that with the teachings that changed me is that I didn't look at things I was able to look at individuals and see the person, not see the situation, not see the what people would say the deficit, but look at the strength and help them and remind them like that they're not their story. They're yes. in a place of survival of what what has been put upon them. And I think for me, that is what I continue to try to bring is to see people's spirit to connect. And I think that it, has allowed me to connect with individuals in the work that you speak of because I never show up as to what is the job what is the agenda what is this but it's always to come in and feel the energy to be like what is the intention what is the authenticity and what you want to do because I want to make sure it's authentic because I know if it's authentic and then those intentions it means everyone's there to put in that work whether it's going to be one meeting, six meetings, 20 meetings, 10 years, 20 years, but we're all going to show up. And what I will say is that it happens when you, when you take the time for kindness, when you take the time to be present, you know, those two and a half year olds, I later got to see them in the work that, that you're referencing that we did as youth. And that was another gift is they remembered me a much younger, tinier version of myself, (laughs) but they would bring in photos and everything and they would bring in other youth. And they were like, do you remember so-and-so they were in this room? Do you remember so-and-so? And then they started asking me to say like, and they were still connected now through a friendship center versus a head start. And they were still a community. And it was that first bonds that they made as children when create when a community was created for them that carried through like grade school middle school like now they were attending programs and they were asking me for ceremony and I was like I don't attend ceremony but I'm gonna find it for you so they gifted me with that it's so full circle but when we have access to culture and language I always said to them I can't wait until I see their children because to see the work that their parents put through in order for them to show up the way they're showing up and the community and those elders, well, there's such powerful medicine here. And I continue to do what I do for them and for those next generations because we think seven generations before us 
to acknowledge the teachings and acknowledge those ancestors. And we bring that forward to the seven generations ahead of us. Again, it takes out that ego. It's not self-serving. How we move in this world, how will that change and be made? How am I making it better for those generations to come? And how am I leaving it? So when we look at those things, it's just how can you not want to show up? Ignorance is bliss and there's nothing wrong with ignorance. Ignorance is simply unknowing. But once you know, how could you not want to? You and have, it's, it's an imperative to start to act. Yeah. And I, or to I'll, integrate and heal too. And I'll circle back because with my husband, he was watching me go through all this and he was watching me go to ceremonies and watching me go to sweats and being like, I don't get it. Or like in fasting and being like, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? But he fully supported me. And he was like, but I'm here for it. He's like, you know, I just have some requirements. Please text me before you go up to a fast and please have someone text me when they do check-ins, you know? Mm-hmm. So there was like parameters around those things to put his mind at ease, but he fully supported me. And we got to receive a gift very amazingly together just prior to COVID had said, let's go for a road trip. And we, and I'm always drawn to the mountains because we, we love music. And so we're like, let's travel to see an artist. So we wanted to go down to the red rocks in Colorado, which amazing experience, like to be a natural rock and amphitheater like that is, was truly amazing. So of course I went on and I was like, okay, like we're going to be near the Rockies. Like where else can we go? What can we do? And so we were going down to Crested Butte and had an amazing time. And funny enough, we actually ended up going back there to get married. We eloped and went back to the lake that we had found because it would just was so like an amazing space to be in. But when we went to the concert, we were like, with like an Uber driver and they're like, well, you know, you're so close to South Dakota. Have you ever been to the Badlands? And we're like, no, didn't even think we were like that close in that. And they're like, yeah, you're just like six hours. So we literally after the concert went back, packed up our things and like hit the road. We like a message wow. the Airbnb people and was like, we checked out early. It just like an impromptu thing. So we like, we took off and to backtrack that even further we were actually in florida going to a concert and the uber driver there is the one that said if you ever get to go see a concert you need to go to red rocks so now our travel is based off of conversations with uber drivers i love it (laughs) i love it oh my gosh don't get me started on the miracles that have happened in my life because of uber driver (laughs) honestly conversations people conversations so important yes so on this whole journey of being in Colorado and going into South Dakota, the buffalo to us are very sacred and they were almost extinct. And so there's a lot of protected lands back when you go into Colorado and South Dakota. And there's a lot of bisons that now roam free and you'll see pictures on Instagram, things like that. And so I was like, oh, I'd love to see a buffalo. And so we went to this one national protected park and I could see them in a far, far distance. Like they looked like ants. And I was like, Oh, still want to see them more. So then we kept kind of chasing Buffalo, I guess we'd say going to what they would call hot spots. And then finally I was sitting there in the car and my husband's like, 
okay, well, let's sleep tonight and we'll try again in the morning. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, if grandma Renee was here or if Diane was here or if Walter, like they would all be telling me they're, you're not being satisfied. Like you asked mm-hmm. to see Buffalo, you got to see Buffalo and now you're kind of being like arrogant about it of being like, well, it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah. This and wasn't good enough. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't being grateful and I wasn't being humble in what was being gifted to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I was in a place of ego, ego. So I was like, no, I was like, I need to let this go. I'm like, it's not right. I need just to let it go. And I need to be grateful for the opportunity that I have seen Buffalo. I was gifted with exactly what I was asked for. And I'm going to be thankful for the opportunity that, that we've been given already. So the next morning we were going to go watch the sunrise in the Badlands. Absolutely beautiful. So we, we drove, we slept in the car, we ended up driving there. So we were there at sunrise and we just breathed in the air and I was just like, wow, what an amazing way to end the trip. Like this, so grateful for this. I was like, but it's time to go home. Let's, let's start to make our way home. And he was like, okay. He was like trip of a lifetime. So then we got in the car and we were coming, exiting the park and all of a sudden in the distance, I thought I saw a buffalo. I was like, I think I just saw a buffalo. And he's like, no. And then, so we continue to go down the road and we go up this hill and down. And I was like, no, I swear there's a buffalo. And he's like, no, it's got to be the sign that says like national park on it. He's like, there's no buffalo out here. And so we continue to go a little bit more. And then all of a sudden there was a buffalo, a youth right on the side of the road, just standing there. And I was like, so we stopped the car and I got tobacco out and I crossed the road, which for safety advisories, you are not recommended in doing this. I must must say that you're supposed to stay in your car. (laughs) I must preference that you're supposed to stay in your car. But I crossed the road and I was maybe, maybe 15 feet from, from this youth. And I started to cry and I laid my tobacco and I was just, was like I sat down which again probably was not safe but I sat down I laid that tobacco and I just cried and then the buffalo sat and he sat down oh my god and then he rolled onto his back and he was kind of just like frolicking around and I was just like wow like thank you and I was just like you're so like manjustic like he was just so amazing and he got back up and he started to kind of walk away, but then he like turned back and looked at us. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. If you want to go, like go, like this was so amazing. Thank you. And I laid more tobacco and I like looked back to cross the road. Cause my, my husband stayed at the, like at the car across the road and he was just crying and he just looked at me and he was like, that was your ancestors that was gifted to you. And he's like, he's like, kept crying. And he's like, he goes, I can't believe that. I just saw that. And then he's like, did we see that? Like, was that, <laughs> was like, it real? Was real? <laughs> and he's like, he goes, because mm-hmm. this was just, he goes, I can't stop. Like, he goes, this was amazing. He's like, like, that was for you. He, he was like, he goes, you need to call grandma Renee right now. <laughs> I was like, no, I was like, let's just be like present with it. And so like, we cried all the way to like the next exit and we went for breakfast 
which was an indigenous coffee shop and we're clearly a mess. And she was asking what was going on. So we had shared with her what just happened. And she was just like, wow, we don't get Buffalo out here. And so like my husband was just like, I told you, he's like, that was for you. But it it was for both of us. And we each received something different. Like he got to witness my spirituality in person up front to to see what I talk about and what I experience and what I share with him. He got to have that own experience himself. I received a whole other message from that Buffalo, which I continue to carry and, and use as my guide. And, and I will continue to do that and be grateful. But that reminder of like, of ego and letting go and just being present and receiving what's meant to be received And I've just learned over time just to do that, just to not have to be in control and just to be present. And I think that's the biggest thing is, wow, life is so much easier not being stressed about how something's going (laughs) to have to plan out. And it's just trusting that everything will happen how it's supposed to. And everything will be said that's needed to, even when we plan conferences and these big meetings, like or doing presentations. I feel sorry for people that are partnered with me because they're like, oh, what are your speaking notes? I'm like, I don't know. From the lens of what you're talking about, mm-hmm. of course, you would need to show up and be present and then sense into what is the wisdom that needs to come forward. I think we've both done a lot of public speaking and I'm not taking mm-hmm. for granted the fact that for many people, myself included, it can really help to be prepared and have notes. but Yeah, um, and I also don't recommend just getting up and winging it. You do have to be very comfortable with that. And it's not winging it. I, I think it's not. I It's being present and just trusting what needs to be said will be said and that I don't have all the answers. What I hold is experiences. And that's what I'm willing to share. And what people want to take from that, if they want to consider it knowledge, that they're learning from my past experience, then by all means, I welcome that and I gift that. But I'm in no place or will I ever proclaim that I hold a degree of education or knowledge on something. I don't. I hold experiences and all I can do is share what's been shared with myself and what I've been told that I am able to share because that's the thing is we do have teachings. We do have things that we're told like, no, you're not able to talk about I've had my elders say, okay, it's time that you can talk on this because they feel that I've gained enough experience and awareness on it that they trust that I, you know, when we're learning, we just because we hear it once doesn't mean we hold it as knowledge. Mm -hmm. We've only heard it once, but until you're living it and breathing it, that's only a time when it becomes knowledge that you can share because you have actually experienced it now. And that's that issue that we talk about when people are like, oh, I can just go on the internet and learn, or I read a book. And for us, it's more than that. Like our teachings are gifted to us. And that's when I said earlier, when we first started talking about this is I've asked questions. I've been given teachings, made no sense to me in the moment. And then it wasn't until 10 years later that I was like, oh, but it's because in those 10 years, I had to go through multiple experiences to truly learn what that answer was supposed to be, be, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that is like having a lot of patience, but it's also the gift. And in it's it. trusting the process. 
And then I feel like I have a better understanding of it because now I've actually been through it. I've, I've lived it. I've been able to speak to it from a, a degree of saying, this is what this has done for me. And I can only say that because it may not have that same impact for someone else. So I can only ever speak from a place of I, which is also one of those teachings is we don't speak on others, but that's that humbleness of saying like, we don't hold the knowledge, the ancestor, like the ancestors hold that the medicine and the plant life, they, they hold that can't yeah. learn it from a book or from school. We can only learn it by, by really learning that medicine, by planting it, growing it, picking it, using it. And that's why like our medicine people, like I'm in awe of them because they have to learn so much, but they know exactly when to harvest. They know what part of a root to take and how to leave it so it can regrow again for that next generation. And it's, it's the beauty in it. And so for myself, in this journey and I guess in a roundabout way is like my intuitive connectedness is my culture. It is those ancestors and those teachings. It is those ceremonies. It is the language I'm getting to learn Anishinaabe Moan, which is not my language. I'm Mohawk and Haudenosaunee, but again, I've have many teachers and one of those teachers is a language speaker. And so when I get to learn from them and I get to learn the beauty of words, all of the words translate into roles and responsibilities. So even Mm -hmm. how we choose our words, you're going to be very careful because you're held accountable to that. And I think that's the thing is we overcommit and we overstate and, you know, we need to be more mindful of that and those relations that we carry and how we show up for one another and how, because when we start showing up differently, those people will surround themselves and those that don't fit in that will dissipate and being okay with that as well. Being like, this person's not for me. And that might be their best path. Yeah. And sometimes it's people that like, you know, may carry a lot of weight but I've had just to be comfortable to be like it's not for me they're Mm -hmm. meant for somebody else's journey and I'm okay with that something else is down the road for me or someone else and you know and looking at each of those individuals that come in or spend time that you know they're gifting and we're gifting energy to each other that we always want to make sure it's reciprocal and that we're mindful of how much we ask but also mindful of how much we give because we got to create balance and recognize that and experience in highs and lows grandma and renee always you know she's like it's in us like you look at the heartbeat it goes up down mm-hmm. you know like so we're meant to go high and low and ex- have those experiences with the full moons the tides coming in and going out you know, just as much as we acknowledge that full moon, we need to acknowledge the new moon. We're releasing, but we're also come that new moon is what are we receiving and and creating that awareness and, and planning around those things. And I think when you do, and I'm starting to try to, that's a part of my, my journey now is starting to learn about that sky world and that, but it's quite impactful when you create awareness around when you're planning stuff, when to plan a meeting or a big meeting. (laughs) Yes. A hundred percent. Well, and it brings a different to think at that. I don't even know if it's thinking exactly, but to have awareness at that level around the rhythms and the seasons and also to hold reverence 
for what is happening in nature and in the sky and all around us, which we are a part of. It's funny to talk about logic when we're talking mm -hmm. about our interconnection and the great mystery and spirit and all of that. But how couldn't that serve us in a better, higher way? Having that awareness around that larger interconnection just makes us all the more grounded and embedded to then think about those things that we're co-creating. That's why our people start with the Thanksgiving address, because it humbles us and it reminds us that we're not bigger than those things, yes. that we're all reliant on each other and we need to pay acknowledgement to each of those because it's what sustains us. So to me, it's always like, getting back to where we can let go of ego because people will call it a mystery or they'll call it spiritual and it's like no it's why we've survived we just became in a place of ego that we've forgotten mm -hmm. from the beginning of time it has been here before us we are a part of it we did not create it and mm -hmm. if we can shift that dynamic how respectful and how deep in our connections would be to create awareness and be present enough. I remember just last semester teaching and somebody said, did you notice the ring around the moon? Has everyone prepared? It was new to me. And they had said, you know, when that rings around the moon, that used to tell us like to prepare because a storm was coming in. So you mm -hmm. were to go in and that we're in that center. So to prepare, but we've stopped being present to notice those things. And other people started to share during that time of different ways like sticks in the water and traditional ways of how they used to tell and navigate and create. But we've become so disconnected from nature that, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a mystery. But at the same time, we need to humble ourselves and remember that nature and that is way bigger than us. <laughs> you know, it's sustained life. We're here because of them, because the rivers keep flowing. The trees keep producing oxygen for us. The plants keep producing medicines and fruits and all of those things. And we're a small part of that circle. And we can go back to the Thanksgiving address that acknowledges each of those beings. The swimmers, the yes. crawlers, the four-legged, the eight-legged, the people. But we're all a part of it. We're interconnected and we all need to remember that without one of those things, we can't exist. When You've seen that with the with the bees, the acknowledgement to say, whoa, 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 big part of life here. <laughs> I'm so happy you mentioned the bees. This feels really full circle to me because I was remembering recently there's an epitherapy wellness center in St. Catharines where people can go and I've gone to receive healing treatments from the air created in beehives. And I'd had experiences where I felt like the bee as a reference point had shown up to me. We went to Burning Man in 2016 and I went to an experience in a building that was designed as a beehive and so it had cool. a prayer for the bees when we walked in. And ever since I went in there, something changed in my consciousness around the bees. Mm -hmm. Then I had this healing experience. And as you know, I have very young children. So obviously when there's little kids around and bees, there's always talk about the bees, mm -hmm. especially when we're with other adults and people who don't hold reverence for bees. 
And so I've been really spending the summer with my children. And I say, oh, if they come over, send them love. They helped heal mommy because I have had chronic lung issues where Mm -hmm. literally pollen and royal jelly and the air from the hives have all been helping heal me in this way. The connection I wanted to make to the Thanksgiving you were sharing was that many years ago, maybe around 2012 or 13, I had the the privilege to spend a few days with the housing team from Mohawk Council of Ganawage. And when we met, it was a group who had come to visit us in Toronto as knowledge exchange. And later I had the opportunity to visit them. But one of the members of the group would give the formal opening, the Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. and she did it in her language, your language, and also repeated it for us in English. Mm -hmm. And we had the honor of sitting for it. At the time, I thought, wow, you know, when you're booking an agenda for a conference, it's like a tight schedule, right? And I'd had someone who had been advising me a little bit on how we should plan to use our time. And I remember the first time she did the Thanksgiving and then she did it in English. I had that moment of, all right, we're going to shift the program. I'm going to let the people at the next stop know that we're going to be probably like 40 minutes late and whatnot. But then we sat for it over the course of the days that we were together. And it stuck with me that, you know, you just mentioned like the four-legged creatures and the eight-legged creatures and the creatures with wings. And I remembered it landed in my being a certain way, just receiving, to me, it felt like a blessing. Yeah. The Thanksgiving. And I've been remembering that verse of it all summer as my family has been integrating with the bees here. And there's so many bees everywhere right now. (laughs) My neighbors have an apple tree. So literally my kids ride their little bikes and we ride outside where the bees are. I think there is this beauty and also back to something you were talking about earlier, coming together and showing up and being present and Mm -hmm. having humility and saying, all right, I can't be rigid about my agenda here and not knowing what the gift was that we were receiving by having the opportunity to have someone share the gift of their Thanksgiving with us. Mm -hmm. You know? So important. And that's why building kinship is so important. Because once you know one another, you show up differently because you know someone now. There's this intention of, I'm going to sit, I'm going to hear, because I've shown up to this meeting because Sydney requested a meeting. And I want to do that for her because I've spent time with her. Versus these cold boardrooms where everyone's just, I have to show up and it's work. And I have all these other things, but I'm showing up because I was told instead of showing up because I want to show up and mm-hmm. you can see the difference of those that are engaged and not those that are picking up their phones or doing this and yes there's things that happen and there's emergencies and stuff like that but that's why a part of our like opening and stuff is we'll thank individuals but we thank their families for allowing that individual to be there mm. so that they can be present because we know whoever is taking care of their little ones or whoever is now cooking dinner because so-and-so is here. We want to pay that acknowledgement that you showing up has taken a community as well in order for you to allow you to be there. And I think people kind of are like, 
oh, okay, they kind of get it. But yeah, the biggest thing I think is being present, but being present in a way where you can let go of ego to just be. Mm -hmm. And so that you don't let the ego kind of come in and create narratives or create the story because it automatically wants to do that as to why something happened or why the bee didn't sting you. Like it automatically kind of goes to that like science or place. But if we can let that go, then you're able just to be there and thank that bee for, for showing that love and thank it for its community doing the healing work that it's done which is essentially helping preserve the entire interconnected system that we're a part of Mm -hmm. I feel like what you've shared is so powerful and will be so expanding for people who are listening I think you'll be giving a lot of people context and wisdom from your journey but that will be very expanding for them Mm -hmm. and I at the same time have this feeling like Oh, there's so many things I would ask you. <laughs> Are you going to create a podcast? Because I will listen. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's so funny. I think it's just the gift of sharing our stories and our truths and remembering we're just a small part of creation. And when we can humble ourselves to remember that and to step outside of ego to think like, how do I want to navigate this world? Do I actually feel good about doing this it's just getting more in tune as like what is good for us and how do we want to leave it and can I go to sleep at night feeling like I was good we have the good mind and we talk about that we come from a place that from our hearts that is good and for our minds that is good and if I can lay down in bed and make sure that I didn't do things out of malice but I mm-hmm. did things that I felt were good and that are were kind that's how I want to show up. And that's how I want to live knowing that my voice isn't for me. My voice is to leverage if I get the opportunity to sit somewhere and share that I'm not there for me, but I'm there because I may have an opportunity to give voice to someone that may not have been. And that's something that we ask our non-Indigenous. It's not to speak for us, but to remember that to create spaces where you can leverage that to give us voice back, you know, and I think I'll leave it there a little political <laughs> little a little cliffhanger <laughs> you know if you want to be that ally it's creating spaces not to speak for us or to do for us but it's to leverage that to give us that space back to use that and trust trust in the truths that we know I think people have so much to learn about who they are and how they show up and that ego that you're talking about because if if someone shows up and truly does have humility and truly does want to listen and learn and have an exchange, but like know what their place is in it, then Mm -hmm. anything is possible. And I will say as a non-Indigenous person, for any non-Indigenous people who want to learn, let alone collaborate, those are like the first steps maybe for any relationship in life, let alone working across cultures or stepping into deeper truth and awareness and reconciliation. Yeah. If you're going to ask something of someone, how have you also shown up for them? Like being aware of what we're asking of one another and what are you giving? Because oftentimes we're asking, we're asking, but say you ask someone to show up at your event. Well, have you shown up to support their event? Like, have you given up one of your evenings, skipped one of your family dinners 
to go to one of their events, like it has to be mutual. And I think recognizing that when people show up for meetings, that we've both given up something to sit there. We've both sat in traffic or we've both skipped another meeting or ate lunch mm-hmm. in the car or haven't eaten lunch and are thinking about where we're going to. But yeah. again, let recognize and see the person that is also there. It's not just, we're not solely in this world. We are all interconnected and we need to be respectful of that, of one another. And I think that's where it's showing that kindness and, and letting go of judgment because we just don't know. I worked with someone when we started doing family home visits and I remember them being like, oh, the house was dirty or did you smell like, did you smell this? And I just, I remember looking at them being like, they opened the door. Do you not think that they know that there's that smell? They opened the door to you. They showed up and they let you in. And to me, that's a big thing. Like we didn't, weren't there to go and judge. Like that person, who knows how much they had to rush around or if they were already embarrassed because their cat had just sprayed, but they still showed up and opened the door. And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm thankful for. I don't care about the rest. If they showed up, I showed up. Or the child that went to school and had dirty t-shirt on, the child's here. Like the person had to get up and get them here. They did what was humanly possible for them in order for that child to be. So does the dirty t-shirt make them different? No, it's just a dirty shirt. (laughs) Like throw it in the wash. Like who cares? It doesn't change who that is. And that father or mother, who knows what they had to go through in order to make sure that that child was still there on time. And maybe it meant a dirty t-shirt for them in order for them to get there on time that day. Because had they been late, that probably would have been judged, (laughs) you know, and we just need to stop. Like we need to stop with the stories and stop with the narratives and just show kindness for one another and acknowledge the work that has been put in for people to be present and what they're going through in order to be present because we don't know what's still going on at home or what they have to go back and do or their to-do list or if they're going to be up at one till 1 a.m. We need to acknowledge that all efforts have been put on on both sides and it doesn't make it greater, whether it's mine or yours. Like we've equally had to to show up. So give the respect to be present and hear one another and not judge. I think that's the perfect note for me to say thank you to you. And thank you for showing up here, sharing so much of yourself and your experiences and your wisdom and your culture. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so happy to see what you're doing. And I really feel honored to be a part of this. To our audience, I want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you like what you're listening to, please subscribe, share, or click the notification button on your podcast platform. For those listening on Apple Podcasts, I would be so grateful for a five-star rating and a written review. This will also make it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you want to connect with me more, please join me on Substack. I will be posting longer-form written pieces about my intuitive changemaker journey, as well as bonus audio content, 
and having online discussions with the Intuitively Aligned podcast community. You can also find me through Instagram at Sydney Rebecca. Yes, that's Sydney Rebecca without an A on the end. Or through my website, www.sydneybloom.com. I also want to give a shout out to our podcast producer, Wilson Lynn. And I want to thank you again for joining me on this journey. I can't wait for you to hear the next episode. Thank you.